Hey everybody, this is Lucas from Coastal Vineyard. Just wanted to say thank you for downloading this podcast or maybe picking up a CD after service. We love you and we are praying for you. We believe that your best days are yet to come. So expect the best. We hope that this message inspires you and moves your faith into action. So sit back and enjoy. You chapter 28. In verse 18, and Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Men, how many of you guys are ready this morning? How many of you came expecting to hear from God this morning? That at some point at this church service, God would do something so powerful in your life that it would change the course of the rest of your life. Is it possible? I think it is. So are you ready? Because I guarantee you that over the next 30 minutes or so, you are going to hear the best sermon that you have ever, ever heard today. Absolutely. The best message you will ever hear today. It is going to be awesome because I came to church expecting, expecting God to do something, do something that only God can do. See, the thing is, you're going to leave here, and you're not going to leave here thinking, man, that is the best sermon that I've ever heard or anything like that. But you are going to leave here, and you're going to leave here with a few questions this morning. But you're going to leave yourself, and you're going to be asking yourself these questions, which are the right questions to be asking here at the beginning of 2013. And so I go ahead and warn you ahead of time that this is what's going to happen. You are going to be leaving thinking about exactly what does God have for me in 2013? What is God doing in my life? And I think through asking ourselves some of these questions, God is going to move within, in each one of our hearts and minds and within the church and within this community. And so we start out with... Matthew chapter 28, therefore go and make disciples. How many of you have heard this before? You've probably heard it preached quite a few times if you've been in church for any number of times. Um, I've heard it, I don't know how many times, uh, throughout the course of my walk with Christ. And a few years ago, I went to this men's uh, um, conference thing, and and this was, was kind of the the main point of the conference, therefore go and make disciples. And, and, I, and I left there just thinking about it, and really the whole time that the man was speaking, I, I really didn't catch anything that he was talking about. It was nothing really that really sunk. But at some point, it was like God was speaking to me. And the realization of this verse just kind of clicked within my heart that, man, I've heard it a hundred times before, but somehow it's just beginning to take root and it's starting to make sense. God, what are you doing in my life? Do this Because imagine the context of this verse. Jesus has come down from heaven. He's been born. He's been born of a virgin. He's walked among us. He's performed healings and miracles and all of these things. People have begun to follow him, and now he's gone to the cross, and he's 
died on the cross for all of our sins, and resurrection has taken place. And he is getting ready to leave and ascend to the Father. So these are his very last words. These are some of the very last words before we flip over to Acts. And there's a a few more sentences that he says before he ascends up to heaven. And this is like, if there's one thing that you're going to like say before you go, this is what you need to catch on to, guys. Like, all of this all of these things I've been living among you and talking with you disciples for all of these years, this is what I want to kind of charge you with as we go. And he says this first, therefore go and make disciples. So it's pretty important. Um, now, I told y'all last week that what God was really speaking to me about this church and what he has for us as a body is really to grow in maturity, to grow in maturity with the Lord. And in just a few weeks, I think about two, maybe three weeks, we are going to celebrate our third year together as a church. Um, church has been going for three years. So the reality is that I expect a whole lot more out of a three-year-old than I do a one-year-old. And so I have a one-year-old girl, and whenever we go for, like, shoes or something like that, we have to teach her, like, this is shoes, how you put them on your feet. But a three-year-old, it's like, get your shoes and put them on. You should know how to put on your shoes. So there's different levels of expectancy as we walk and grow with Christ. And so really at this point in the church life, God's kind of looking at us and saying, okay, lace up your shoes. It's time to get going. It's time to mature with him. So with turning three, that's just kind of where we are as as a church. And I think that's where a lot of you guys are as Christians, that you've, even maybe you've been attending church for a long time or you've been a follower of Christ for for a number of years, but you've still yet to really kind of grow in maturity and develop, hey, this is really why I believe what I believe. This is, uh, it's not just what the pastor said or it's not just what, but this is the reason why I've found it and searched for myself. And so that's kind of where God has taken us in. I remember as a a young younger guy kind of always looking up to the grown-ups and thinking man just there was this assumption that I made that as you grow up and as you get older you naturally get more wise and you naturally get smarter and stuff because all these people are so much smarter than me and then I begin to grow up and I realize that that's not always the case I realize that man you could grow up and really not be any wiser at all and time can just pass by and we could be just as dumb 10 years from now as we are right now it's like oh it doesn't work I thought it was just natural it's like no and then I heard this man say this this quote one time he said there's no 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 fool like an old fool and we have a tendency sometimes to kind of get into our little patterns and our little ruts and sometimes all, all of a sudden man bam, now 10 years has passed by, 15 years has passed by, and we're still at the same level we were years and years ago. And so for us to mature, some things have got to change. For us to be disciples, to be fully committed disciples of Jesus Christ, it means maturing. It means growing in Christ. Now, first first of all, I realized by saying that word disciple, for some people, it kind of brings on the notion that, um, it's, it's almost like, mm, the word is uh, kind of harsh to some of you, like, mm, to be a disciple. And so you could take that word and you could just substitute it with being a committed follower of Christ. So anytime I say 
to become a disciple, think, to be a follower of Christ, to be a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ. Your walk, your journey with Jesus. So don't let the word kind of stump you up on exactly what is a disciple. We are going to clarify that as we go. But for now, just think fully committed follower of Jesus Christ. So here's the question. And nobody answer out loud or anything, just to yourself. Um, How many of you guys have been discipled? How many of you have purposely said, you know, this is part of my journey with Christ, and part of that journey is discipleship? And I don't want you to answer that question out loud, but the the fact remains that there's quite an alarming number of people that have been part of the Christian faith for years and years and years and have never really been discipled. I really doesn't know what it looks like to really follow Jesus day in and day out other than you kind of go to church on Sundays and you read your Bible. And that's really what some people know as being a disciple. And so if you have been, which everyone in this room has been a part of the church in the last 100 years, there's really three types of models for Christian discipleship that have kind of taken reign over what is, this is how we are going to form a disciple. So the first one, classic discipleship. This involves uh, Bible study, scripture memorization. It's a very much classroom style type of teaching where here's the teacher, you are now, everyone sits down, you are now going to be discipled. We're going to disciple you in certain topics such as how to share your faith, how to speak publicly, how to do all of these different things. And so it's very much uh, a system. If you grew up uh, Baptist, you're very familiar with, hey, this discipleship class, stage one, discipleship class, stage two, one, two, three, and you're going to learn these things, and this is how it's going to look. The next form of discipleship is spiritual formation. Now, if you were part of a Catholic background, this would be more familiar with you, where you would learn uh, different things like partaking in the Eucharist, communion, uh, the remembering of holy days, following the church calendar. Uh, You would be taught things, practices such as solitude, silence, frugal living. This would be the model that you would be used to, spiritual formation, discipleship. Now, the third one is what, if you have been a part of really any type of non-denominational church, um, any kind of a mainstream, bigger churches, this is uh, the relational uh, community kind of uh, style for discipleship. It's a very much congregational, pastor-driven. Uh, you come in, it's very um, environmentally focused where we provide a certain environment where you guys come, we gather as a community, and this is what discipleship looks like where we just come together. There's a focus on the presence, not so much the presence of God, but the presence of you. So in other words, if we can just get enough people together, we will kind of naturally grow together and be discipled. And there's a certain acceptance and trust within this group of community because everyone is accepted that we will just kind of grow and learn. And a lot of times the word organic gets thrown around with this type of discipleship a lot where everything just kind of happens naturally and relationships form naturally and all of these different things. When in, in the reality of the situation is nothing could be further from the truth because um, even, even the term like organic, how it started being used back in the 40s when uh, or as far as organic farming, people 
start, you know, farmers started using all these different types of pesticides and all this stuff on their crops and stuff. And so all of a sudden there was like organic farming and this other type of farming. And so the, the whole idea is there's the natural way of doing things and then there's adding all of these other things for our fruits and vegetables. And we've kind of taken the term and adopted it inside of the church where there's just kind of, we call it natural organic church growth and community building and all this stuff. Um, but the reality is it takes a lot more work for something to be organic than it does to be sprayed with pesticides. So in other words, this, like, the idea of it just happening naturally doesn't happen. Ask any farmer who does organic work. He has to work the ground. Any of these relationships that seemingly you think that they just kind of naturally happened, it didn't just naturally happen. You picked up the phone, and you made the phone call. Hey, would you like to have dinner tonight? Hey, would you like to come over? Hey, would you like to study the Bible together? Hey, would you like to do this? So there was work. There was effort. There was something that took place for what seemed natural. It seemed organic. But the reality is it takes work. And so this kind of community form of discipleship is what a lot of us have kind of grown to know. Classic discipleship model, spiritual formation, and relation, relational community discipleship. What I want to do now is point out some of the strengths and the weaknesses. And if you haven't figured it out, this morning is really going to be a lot of information. This morning, I'm not going to, it's not my usual storytelling style, so that's why you got the little note things too, if you'd like to take some notes. So, strengths and weaknesses of classic discipleship, uh, relational and spiritual formation. First one, classic discipleship. Uh, positive strength of this is there's a whole lot of movement. A lot of things get done. There's very much outwardly focused. Um, things like teaching people how to share the faith, uh, scripture memorization, Bible study, all of these things that you're doing, it's very much outwardly focused, and there's a lot of movement. Things get done. The weaknesses of this model is that people get burned out. Is everything is so outwardly focused that there's no room for rest. There's no room to just stop and pause. And everything is so focused on the outward movement that there's a neglect to the inner life. And so people find themselves outwardly really busy. Oh, we're doing all these things for God. We're doing this, and we're doing this, and we're going to Bible studies, and we're going to classes, and we're memorizing this thing. We're doing this, and one, two, three, and everything turns into checklist Christianity. And check that off the list. I did that. Check that off the list of that. And the weaknesses of this is the second that you check it off, that's where it ends. The, the second that you finish the class, that's when it stops. And discipleship never stops. Following Jesus is something that you never graduate from. You will follow Jesus from the moment that you were baptized and said, Jesus, you are now ruler and reigning of my life until the day that you die. Till death do us part. It's something that you will never graduate from. To be a follower of God means to follow Jesus wherever he's going. And he's going in a million different directions. He is going, and it doesn't stop. It's not something that you could just take the class and mark it off. So what happened is, an outward thing is, it's so outward focused. People get burned out. And once the class was over, so was the discipleship. It wasn't lasting effects to this model of discipleship. Now, the second one, spiritual formation. The real strength of this is it caused us to slow down. It caused us to stop. And it was a real focus on the inner life. And this is where, again, if you were Catholic, you learn things like the practice of solitude, 
of how to be silent, of how to just rest and learn with God. And so there was a real deep and inner strength that comes from learning these practices. Now, the weaknesses of this is that it's so inwardly focused that they forget to do the work. And we could be inwardly strong and outwardly neglect all of the things that Christ told us to do. Um, another negative of this is it, bec- it can easily become highly acceptable, highly acceptable, acceptable to other philosophies and religions and things coming in and saying, um, c- like weird mysticism stuff. Coming, this is how you meditate with rocks and warming. It, just weird, crazy stuff easily can creep into those things if if there's not been training and knowing how to distinguish between what is godly and what is just absolutely weird. And there's some absolutely weird stuff in the church. Like if you've been around for a while, it's like, dude, that's weird. Like nowhere does it say that. Anyway, so strengths and weaknesses of that. Uh, the third one, and the one that probably a majority of you might be used to is the community style relationship model. Strengthening of this is it forms strong community. It forms strong relationships, and we were never meant to do it alone. We were meant to live out this Christian journey inside of community, inside of building strong relationships. So it it is amazing at building the group of people together, the people of God coming together and uniting. The negative of this is we have turned into a community that now is tolerant of everything. In other words, everything is ac- acceptable. What's, what's truth for me and what's truth for you, that's okay. And we can all still come together and love each other. And there's no such thing as right and wrong any, anymore. Everything is tolerant. As a matter of fact, we tolerate everything except the intolerable. This is the group of people, we will tolerate everything. You can believe the most whacked out craziest thing and still be a part of our church and still be a part of our group and still hang out. But yet, the second that you disagree with something that I say, or the second that there's some type of intolerance, that's where we cut strings and cut, cut ties. You know what I'm talking about. Have, does anybody, do y'all, have you seen that? It's the second that you stand up and say, hey, no, this is what the Bible says. This is wrong. And now all of a sudden there's this great division inside of the community. So we're tolerant to everything with this. Truth becomes relative. Everything becomes just acceptable. And everything is just looked at as being naturally and organic. And the thing with natural and organic is we've twisted those words to mean something that they're not. We think that it means it takes no work at all. When ask any farmer at all that does organic work you have to work the ground it says that in genesis 1 and 2 in a perfect created world before sin and god says here is the ground take and work take and work it all of these trees that are good and all of these fruit bearing things take and work the ground so in other words there is going to be work involved there are certain things that are intentional and yet organic natural and yet on purpose. Whenever I was in college, um, I was part of the drama team. And when I signed up for the drama team, I wanted to sign up for the improv uh, part of the drama team because I figured that way I didn't have to go to any practices. (laughs) I was like, it's improv. You just show up. Like, amazing. That's going to be the best class ever because how can you fail? You just show up. And uh, come to find out, there was like practices. I'm like, how do you practice improv? But yet, there's ways. 
to practice improv. There's things that we learn. Ask any comedian or whatever that does that. You practice improv. And there's a way of learning. There's a way that is organic and natural and yet still takes work. Follow me? Okay, so here's my suggestion. My suggestion for discipleship is what if instead of just like taking one of these methods and um, saying this is what we're going to do, what if we could get the best of all three? What if we could take the best of all of these three models, maximize the strengths, minimize the weaknesses, and provide a balanced approach to life and ministry? Is that possible? I think it is. I think it is. See, what happens is we can have a tendency to say, hey, this part of this thing isn't working, or we can look at spiritual formation or classic and say, hey, this is why this didn't work, and so we toss out the whole thing when the fact is there's some really good aspects of it, and there's some really good aspects of spiritual formation, and there's some really good aspects of community discipleship. What if we could take the best of all three and come up with a model that's really not a new model, but the model? the old model of what Jesus said, how a disciple should look like. Now, at this point of the sermon, this is where you would expect me to say, A, B, C, D, this is what we're going to do. This is what making a disciple looks like. And so that way we could check it on our list and say, hey, I will do this, 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 and this, and everything will be good. I am not going to do that this morning. You are going to be widely disappointed if that's what you are expecting. Now, there will be certain things that will come in the future. And there will be certain things that I'll talk about that this is what exactly discipleship looks like here. But that's not going to happen today. What I'd like to do today, before we get into exactly the ABC's nuts and bolts of discipleship, and you start making your list, what I'd like to do today is I want to change your mind. I am going to operate on the assumption that there's a few things about this portion of text that though you've heard over and over again, that maybe, just maybe, God wants to speak something different to you this morning. And God wants to speak it to you in such a way that it's going to change the course of your life. So let's read it one more time. Jesus, in Matthew 28, speaking to the disciples after his, after his death, After the resurrection, after the cross of Christ, he is saying this before he ascends to the Father. The last kind of words that he's speaking to men that he's poured his life into for the last three years. And he says this. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go. Wow. That is crazy. Imagine for a moment that you, whatever it is, whatever job you have, whatever position of influence you're in, your boss, whatever, comes up to you and says, now, you now have all authority in this company. You now have all of the power, all this. You could do whatever you want. Somebody comes up to you right now and writes you a blank check and says, you know what? Fill in with as many ones and nines and zeros as you like. And when you cash it, it'll be good. Yeah, shopping spree, awesome. But what does Jesus do? This is what Jesus is saying. I've been given this blank check. All authority and all power has been given to me. And now what does he do with it? Therefore, go. Therefore, you go. That doesn't make any sense. You're the one with all the power. You're the one that could do it. At this point in Jesus' life, he could have just eradicated sin. He could have done anything he wanted. Every, 
everyone miraculously whatever. And he says, no, my choice with all the power and all the authority is to give it to you and send you to go. Jesus likes to use you and me. So if we had all of this authority and all of this power, what would we do with it? And Jesus is saying, therefore, go and make disciples. Do what I'm doing now. Take all of this that I've given you and give it away. Give it to someone else. Take it. It's not meant just for you. It's meant for all of humanity. Therefore, go. Since I have all power, therefore, you go. He's sending us. He's given us the, the power. See, there's that verse that says, these things that you will do, that I have done, you will do, and greater. You've heard those? And then at this point, that's where we'll start quoting, well, we could lay hands on the sick and see people healed and all these things. But we're missing another aspect of that verse. We could also live like Jesus lived in every aspect of our life. Therefore, these things that he did, that means we could have patience like Jesus had patience. We could have long-suffering like Jesus had long-suffering. We can walk and follow and train other disciples like Jesus trained us. We could do these things. We could live this type of life that Jesus lived. All of these things he has given to us and given us the power to do to live an overcoming life. That is amazing. That is amazing to know that he has given that to me. And so what's happened with this power that everything's been given to God, he gives to us, but we've turned it into this thing where now all of the power focuses around the pastor. All of the power focuses around the church. All of the power focuses around the spiritual leader. All of, all of the power focuses around the person who knows the much. Uh, whoever has the most talent, whoever can speak the most eloquently, whoever has the most ability to do A, B, and C, and D, this is the person that gets things done. And so this is the leader inside of the community. And this is not what Jesus teaches. This is completely contrary to the Great Commission. Jesus is saying, therefore, give it away. Take, because all all power, all authority has been given into me. Now you go and give it to someone else. So what's a good definition of authority? When we give it away. When, all, when we have the power to, to do what, and we just, just give it away. You, grace, forgiveness. And so this, we've, we've turned it into where everything focuses on the pastor. Everything focuses on the church. And so what we do is we go inside of our realms of influence. We go back to our work on Monday, whatever that work may be. We go to our job, and we are uh, meeting all of these people. And then what do we do? We invite them to church. Why? Why do we invite them? We invite them to church because then the pastor will teach them about God and the pastor will do all the work in getting them saved. When the reality is Jesus says, you do it. And the purpose of the church is for me to train you in such a way that whenever you are out in your workplace that you would lead them to Christ. And so this is what happens. No longer, church is no longer a destination, but church is now just part of the journey. And that is a huge difference. So it's no longer you just come to church, get saved, know Jesus, and continue to go to church. But now it's you've gotten saved, you know Jesus, all of these things. Church is now we come here and we get equipped and we get trained and we go out and we do it the rest of the week. It's a complete change of 
of, of thinking that we're accustomed to here in the American church. And so church now is just a part of the journey, is I believe the way it's supposed to be. And so this affects everything. This affects the way that we view what a minister is. I see no longer is a, whenever I say the word minister, again, don't answer out loud, but think to yourself, what is a minister? When I say that word, what are the words that come to your mind? Minister. Do any of you think of words like gardener? Cash register attendant? Mechanic? Maybe not. Minister. Uh, The Greek word that Jesus used uh, would be diakonos. Dia meaning thoroughly and konos meaning dust. So it would be translated to dust thoroughly is this word here for minister, to thoroughly. Now, um, I've told this story before, so if you've heard it before, you're going to hear it again. Um, If you were in first century Jerusalem, and Jesus was coming to town, and matter of fact, not just Jesus, but any rabbi that would be coming to town, they would come and they would come and uh, people would gather around and they would listen to the rabbi speak. He would teach from the word of God, because remember, there's no printing presses. There's not like a hundred million copies of the Bible out there. So the ones, the rabbis that had the copies of scripture, this was like highly valued stuff. And so rabbis would go and they would preach town to town, teaching people about the ways of Christ. And when a rabbi would come in, he would come in and he would have all of his disciples following him. The disciples always followed close behind the rabbis. And when the disciples followed, they were going down these dusty trails from village to village, going and following their rabbi. And when they would arrive at these trails, they would be covered with the dust of their rabbi's feet from following him so closely. And so when, this, when Jesus used this word minister, he's referring to the rabbis, to the way that they would go town to town, and that the, the disciples that they would bring following him so close that they would be covered with the dust of their rabbi. So to be a minister of God is to be a follower of Jesus, and that you would be following him so close that you would be covered from the dust of his feet. Amazing. And that's when Jesus is, in the context of the New Testament, when Jesus is talking about minister, he is talking about those that are following closely. Those that know him so well and so intimately that they would be covered with the dust of his feet. Where he goes, we go. Where he turns, I turn. If he's going this direction, this is the direction I'm going. And I don't care if it's in a direction that I think we shouldn't go. If he's going that way, that's the way I'm going. Are we ministers? Are we following Jesus so close that we are covered with the dust of his feet? Because this is what it means to be a disciple. This is what it means to be a minister. And in no way does it mean simply to be a pastor, prophet, apostle, teacher. It means this. All of those things that I just said, that is a part of it, not the whole of it. That is a part of it, not the whole of it. He's appointed some pastors, prophets, teachers, evangelists for what? For the equipping of the saints for the work of 
of the ministry. So what do the pastor, prophets, teachers, evangelists do? They equip the saints. Their main point is to equip for what? For the work of the ministry. So what is ministry doing? Ministry looks more like what you're doing in the marketplace than what I'm doing right now. Because right now what I'm doing is I'm equipping that you would go out and you would equip others. And you would teach others about the ways of God and how to follow Jesus. So in terms of the New Testament, you are more of a minister than I am. You are a minister in your area of calling. What you are doing right now, the people that you are influencing, you are ministering to them. Just this past week, um, I went to... Uh, Guy C. Lee to order some lumber. And in conversation with this man, it, it came up what I did, and you know, I'm a pastor and all this stuff. And, and at one point in the conversation, he said, You know, people have told me all of my life that, that I should be a pastor. And, uh, and I wanted to say, I didn't say this, but what I wanted to say is, But you don't realize you are right now. All of these people that you work with, whenever they're hurting and they're in pain and they come to you, and all of the ones that you're influ- you're their pastor. See, some of these guys will never step foot in a church. You are their pastor. See, he's been taught that you have to bring them to the pastor when he doesn't realize that he is the pastor. And that's what Jesus is saying. All authority has been given to me, therefore you go. And you go into the area in which you are called. What area are you in right now? Whatever area that is, you are pastor in that area. You are teacher in that area. You are prophet in that area. My buddy Jace over here, he's at the community college. He works in turf and horticultural. That's a hard word to say. Horticultural. I can't even say the the word, so I can't take the class. He's pastoring those students. He's a pastor. All of you guys, what area... Are you in? What area do you have influence? Do you realize you are a minister of the gospel in that area, no matter what it is? Because Jesus is leading, and wherever he's leading, we are following, and he doesn't lead just inside the church. He likes to lead everywhere. He likes to lead in the colleges and in Walmart and in the mechanics garage and on the job site and in engineering and in survey and all of these areas and all these things that you're doing. Jesus is leading in those directions. Are we following? Are we being ministers of the gospel? Are we thoroughly dusted? Because it's a whole new way of looking at things. And it's really not a new way, but an old way. And so my goal isn't that we make more pastors in the sense of the ones that we come to know today. But my goal is that you would realize that you are one now. And this is what discipleship looks like. We need to learn how to lead effectively now. Where we, God has us now. Because the thing is, God cares about humanity. Those people that you talk to and are around every day, God loves them. And he wants to do in their life. And he wants to do something in your life. Because we're all his children. So, that naturally brings about the next question. Well, how does this effect affect the church? Well, it affects the church in this way that my teaching should be in such a way that you would not leave here thinking that that was a good sermon. You should not leave here thinking that, man, that pastor really brought down the house today. You shouldn't leave here thinking, man, the, 
the music was awesome or any of that other thing that we've come accustomed to judging a good church service by. But you should leave here feeling equipped. You should leave here feeling equipped to go and minister the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because again, let's read this first. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations. All Remember, all authority has been given to him, and so he takes that authority, he gives it away. Therefore go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And here's, the, here's, here's another part. And lo, I am with you always. Crazy that he would say this. Because 10 seconds later, he leaves. Lo, I'm with you always. Peace out. Wait a minute, Jesus. Hold on. Does anybody else ever caught that? I'm like, oh, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. It's so much more than that. It's so, so much more than that. Uh, let me give you an example. Um, me and uh, the buddy friend of mine uh, were talking uh, just about God and Bible and faith and all these things. And he begins to tell me this story. And he's telling me the story like I'm telling you how his hands are going and he's all animated and he's excited and he's passionate about the story that he's telling me. But what he doesn't realize is the story that he's telling me, I told him. <laughs> so I'm just letting him go with it. I'm like, man, just tell it. Just like, just go it. And what I realized is that my story became his story. And his story is to become our story. That we would tell his story in such a way that it's like, lo, I'm with you always. So that even if he leaves, he's still there. Wow, that is a game changer. That we, that his story would be our story. He wants to use us but for the most part, churches revolved around a few talented people. And we've seen the outcome of this. There's only so many people that these people can reach. The fact is, your influence is so much greater. The people that you're around every day. Therefore, go. Make disciples. Give it away. The only way that we're going to reach this world for Christ is if we all join in on the journey. If we all realize that the way I do it is different from the way you do it. But you do it this way and reach the people that you can reach for Christ. But we become really good at creating community. We become really good at kind of following that that one aspect of the journey and focusing all along all the attention on the pastor and all the attention on the evangelist or the whatever title it is. And here's the thing. Roots are always developed in the dark. And so what happens is there will be times in your life where the pastor will be nowhere to be found. The prophet, the evangelist, all the spiritual leadership, all of the ones that are going to have that, they will be gone. And it's going to be just you and Jesus. And there's no sermon that can help you. There's no friend that can pat you on the back or give you enough hugs to help you with what you're going through. It just takes you and Jesus. And are you equipped for that? And for the most part, most of us are not. Because everything revolves around a talented group, a talented individual. 
And when Jesus started his ministry, he was led into the wilderness where Satan tempted him. And it was just him and his relationship with God. There was no other apostles. There was no one, nobody else saying how great Jesus was. There was nothing else. It was him. The devil was tempting him. And it was his relationship with God. There will be times, there will be moments where you get tempted, where things are going to happen, and, and no phone call is going to help. You have got to have some roots. You've got to be able to make it through the tough times on your own. Inside of community, yes, community is here for you, and it's great, and it's biblical, and we're supposed to do it, and we will not, we will not stop the gathering of community and all that, but there's been such a focus on it that the second we become alone, we are alone. And we don't have that personal relationship with Jesus. See, we become so focused on the presence of others that we forgot about the presence of Jesus. There are going to be times where it's just you and God and there will be a battle that's taking place. And the reality is, this is where a lot of soldiers fall. But it doesn't have to be that way. So my job is I'm not just going to encourage you, but I'm going to teach you how to encourage yourself. I'm not just going to give you a good sermon, but I'm going to teach you how to live a good sermon. See, being a follower of Jesus means going where he goes. And Jesus doesn't always take the safest route. He's going to lead you at some point to a place that you don't want to go. So why is this the best sermon that I've ever preached? Because it has nothing to do with me. It's his story. And I want his story to become my story. And I want his story to become your story. And the question, if the band could go ahead and come back up. The question I want to leave us thinking is this. Am I ready? Am I ready to be a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ? Am I ready to be thoroughly dusted to follow Jesus wherever he may lead? Am I ready? Do I want to grow in 2013? Am I ready for my journey to become more than what I just know now? I don't promise that all the parts of this journey are going to be pleasant. As a matter of fact, some of times on this journey, it's going to come with great difficulties. But I do promise this, we will become more like him. We'll be covered with his dust. And the more we do this, the more that the world's going to hate us. And in your life, your terminology is going to begin to change the way of your thinking is going to begin to change. And your life is no longer going to be marked with words like expected, normal. Matter of fact, the more we follow Jesus, the more we will find ourselves doing things that make no sense at all. We'll find ourselves giving and expecting nothing in return. We'll find ourselves loving those who are just unlovable. We'll find ourselves forgiving those that have terribly wronged us. And everything within us might not want to forgive, but we want to forgive because we're becoming more and more like Jesus. We'll find ourselves praying 
for our enemies, not just hating them, but we'll find ourselves praying for them. Matter of fact, not just praying for them, we'll find ourselves in a place where we're actually blessing them because we're coming more and more like Jesus. That is the power of being a disciple. That is the power of following Christ because all authority has been given to him. Therefore, you go. Therefore, you go. These things you can do and greater. But here's the thing. You've got to be all in. It has to be all God's. So if you would, please stand with me. And I told you I was going to leave you with questions. I want you to leave thinking that. I'm not going to just do an altar call or have you raise your hand or pray a certain prayer. I want you to leave. I want you to spend the next week thinking about, do I want to be a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ? Am I ready to be a disciple? Is 2013 going to be a year of change for me? I know for me, I want it to be. I want to follow Jesus more closely. I want to be made more in his image and his likeness. But I know that that's going to come at a great cost. And I'm not going to like all the things that he tells me to do. And there's parts of the journey that Jesus, if we could just do it this way, it would be so much. And Jesus says, nope, this is what I have.